The In Search of America podcast, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. Music by Keith Medley at keithmedleymusic.com. Episode 23, Santa Fe and Taos, New Mexico. Over the years, I have heard a lot about Santa Fe, New Mexico, so I thought that while I was so close, I should stop and see what it's all about. As I drove in the other day, I drove into the outskirts of Santa Fe, New Mexico, and that area looked like any other area in suburbia, United States of America, except that all of the buildings were uh, adobe. But that night, my first night here, I took a taxi down into the downtown area because I didn't want to drive and have to find parking. And the downtown area is really quite spectacular in a sense, although most of that spectacularness, if that's a word, is around all the shops. I mean, everywhere you go, it is just shop after shop after shop. And obviously, it is a great tourist destination. And most of these shops, in fact, probably all of these shops, are southwest oriented and New Mexico oriented. So they're selling, uh, you know, southwestern style clothing and they're selling southwestern style jewelry with the silver and the turquoise. And then in the center of the town, or what I perceive to be the center of the town, is a plaza and the cathedral, the old cathedral. And, you know, that was interesting. But again, for me, it was kind of uh, overstimulating with all of the shops. Although I did stop in a restaurant called The Shed, and if you're ever in Santa Fe, I highly recommend it. It was truly the best enchiladas I have ever had in my entire life. Then, late in the afternoon on my first full day here in Santa Fe, I decided to drive to Taos. There are two routes to Taos from Santa Fe. One is considered the low road, the other is the high road. Both of these routes will take you, for the most part, through the business districts uh, on the outlying areas of Santa Fe, and then once you're through there, you have a choice of going, continuing straight on the highway that you've been on or detouring off to, I think it's 508 or 580. On both of my trips to Taos, both that day and the following day, my route going to Taos from Santa Fe is I took the low road, and each day coming back, I took the high road because the contrast or the differences between these two routes as far as scenery goes is absolutely phenomenal. When taking the low road route, again, once you get outside of the business districts, at one point, the road dips down into or onto the valley floor, and it's narrow, and alongside the road, to the left of the road paralleling it, is this beautiful mountain stream, and on both sides, you have these massive mountains that surround you and kind of cradle you and embrace you, and it is truly spectacular, especially if you take it early in the morning, just as the sun is coming up, it gives this dimensionality to the view because of the different light patterns coming down into the, the canyon or into the valley. It is, again, it is truly, truly breathtaking. By the time I had reached the town of Taos, the photographic possibilities for me had diminished greatly because the cloud storm clouds were moving in, which had been predicted. I knew that, but I figured it was worth a try anyhow. So instead of looking and spending time photographing, I just parked the vehicle and I got out and began to walk around to explore the town of Taos. The first place that I came across was a used bookstore called Somos, S-O-M-O-S. 
And I have this thing with my dear, dear friend, Marty Becker, that anytime I'm anywhere in the world and I come across a used bookstore, I need to go in and explore it and check it out and report back to him in case he's ever in that same location that he can go and visit it because he absolutely loves used bookstores. And this was indeed a great used bookstore. Every book on the shelf, whether it was a hard cover or a soft cover, was three bucks. Plain and simple, three bucks. I was astounded and I ended up spending about $78 in books because I bought so many I couldn't control myself. The bookstore is run by the Literary Society of Taos. And the following day, my second day to Taos, I stopped back to the bookstore and I spoke with Jan Smith, who's the executive director, and she was telling me that they get so many books in every day that they're able to keep the shelves stocked and keep these prices as low as they are. But their goal is to get people to read, bring this community of people together from a bookstore's perspective to read and to engage. On one table, facing the window, looking outside in the bookshop, is a curry coffee maker. And you can just walk up, make yourself a cup of coffee. You can put a donation in a cup. But again, it's to keep that atmosphere of a true, authentic bookstore alive and inviting people to come in and, again, sit down and take a book off the shelf and read it and explore it and to learn and experience life from the perspective of books. Leaving Somos, I continued my exploration of downtown Taos. This town is so charming. As you walk down the streets, the sidewalks are very narrow. And again, much like Santa Fe, the sidewalks are lined with galleries and shops. But here in Taos, the feel is much more laid back, much more inviting. As I walked along, I came upon a gallery. And when I looked through the front window... There were a few pieces that I saw that really intrigued me. And then I noticed that the front door was wide open. And that, for me, is a sign of great invitation. So I walked through the front door and I looked at the artwork a little bit. And I noticed a man sitting on a couch with a sketchbook and a pencil doing some work. So I asked if I could bother him for a few minutes and I could talk with him about the art. And, of course, he agreed and stood up. He introduced himself. His name was David Lockhart and he was the father of the artist who owns the gallery. But uh, David is also the grandson of the late American wildlife painter, James Lockhart. So we began talking, and it turns out that David is an accomplished photographer as well. In fact, some of his work was hanging on the wall. And we talked at great length about the work and about his son as a painter. And I said that I would come back the next day when I was visiting Taos once again and spend more time in the gap. So as promised, the next day when I was back in Taos, I stopped at the gallery again, and David wasn't there, but his son Reed was, and I got to meet him and talk with him a bit, and I was really intrigued by what he had to say, because his viewpoint for opening this gallery was that all of the other galleries in Taos basically represent a singular type of art which is predominantly landscape-based artwork. And I understand this because it appeals to the tourist trade. But what Reed is saying is, I want to introduce another type of art to Taos. I want to bring this art to Taos and expand the art community here. And I commend that. That is brilliant. That is such a great way of looking forward and looking way outside of the box and say, this is possible. Let's make Taos an even greater greater art community. 
As I left the gallery, I stopped across the street at World Cup Coffee to get a great espresso. And then from there, I made my way out of town. And just on the outskirts of downtown Taos is the Church of St. Francis of Assisi, the famous Church of St. Francis of Assisi. So I pulled in there because this is another location, another structure that I have wanted to make a photograph for decades. What surprised me is that the church itself is surrounded by all of these outbuildings. And my understanding is that they were built at or around the same time as the church itself. I had never ever seen these in any photograph of the church before. And off to the right, just as I pulled into the parking area, amongst these outbuildings was a restaurant. And I think the name is Rancho's Plaza Grill. Anyhow, I stopped in there to get a bite to eat and let the crowds die down a little bit. And I have to tell you, I had truly the best huevos rancheros I have ever had in my entire life. But anyhow, after I was finished eating, I came out to photograph the church. And the first photograph that I made was the one that we always see of the back end of the church. But then I wanted to capture something different. I wanted to visually interpret a part of the church that had not been done before, at least nothing that I had seen before. And this was truly exhilarating as I walked around the perimeter of the church and I saw it from all these different angles and the play of light between you know, the, the, the angles of the building casting shadows. It was, again, it was nothing short of exhilarating. And I spent about 45 minutes, maybe even an hour there, walking around and walking around and walking around and photographing and re-photographing. And the great thing, too, is that I photographed a lot of this with my Hasselblad, with the film camera and the medium format, and I can't wait to see those when I get back. And, you know, this was truly a profound experience and this combined with the, the the previous photographs I had made at the beginning of this day at the Pueblo, the Taos Pueblo, which I will talk about in a subsequent podcast. This just took my day to a completely new level. After I finished photographing at the church, I returned to the highway to make my way back to Santa Fe to my hotel. But as I had mentioned earlier in the podcast, there was a low road and a high road. And on my way home, I was going to take the high road, which I had taken the night before. And as I was driving the night before, I found another old church. This was the church of Las Trampas, and it's in the village of Las Trampas. And I wanted to go back today while the light was good and photograph this church. So again, I was on the high road, and the scenery is, again, spectacular, but it is completely different scenery, a completely different landscape than taking the low road. After driving for almost an hour along the high road, I came back to the, the church at Las Trampas. And when I pulled into the parking area, which is encompassing much of the town, there were people that were working on the church. And at first I was a little bit discouraged because I thought this is going to kind of interfere with me photographing the church. But then I realized what a great opportunity this was to photograph the people working on the church, but even more so to be able to talk with them. As I approached the low wall that surrounds the perimeter of the church, there were three people working, two women and a very, very young girl. It turns out that she was three years old, and all three were working, including the three-year-old girl. And as I, I approached close to the wall, I asked if I could make a photograph of her, which they agreed to immediately and generously. 
And after I made the photograph of the young girl, I was talking with the people and they were telling me about living in this village and generation after generation after generation that would come out every year to work on this church, to put new mud on this church and to keep it strong and to keep it in great shape. After talking with these three women, well, actually the two women and the young girl for a while, I went into the church to explore, and even though I couldn't make photographs in there because it's a sacred place, it was just amazing. It was, again, it was astounding to be in there. All of the murals that were painted, instead of being painted on plaster walls as we're accustomed to seeing, especially in Catholic churches, is all of the paintings were painted on wood panels, and the majority of the interior of this church was wood, and the floor were thick, heavy boards that were just put straight into the earth. There was no concrete or anything underneath. They were just put straight into the earth. And it was just an amazing experience to be taken back. Again, taken back in time as if a time warp machine and to live this piece of history that was still standing in its originality. As I was walking out of the church, I spotted a woman who seemed to be someone who was in charge. Her name is Rosemary Vigil, and she is the mayor doma, or the caretaker of the church, her and her uncle. And so I took time to talk with her and to get some insight into this church and the community. She told me that this church, which is a Catholic church, is still owned by the archdiocese, but they really don't care about it. They don't want to put any money into it or any upkeep into it, yet they still kind of establish rules or enforce rules upon the church. So it's really this, this odd dichotomy that is a struggle for the people um, of the community. As I returned outside, the two women who I had encountered initially as I approached the wall, Priscilla and Dorothy Lopez, as well as the three-year-old Isabella Martinez, were still out there working. I took time to look at the front of the building to look for angles to photograph, and as I was doing that, Priscilla spoke up and asked me if I had seen the back of the church yet, to which I responded, no. In somewhat of an exclamation, she said, oh, but you must go see the back. That's where we just finished, and it is beautiful. So how could I say no? I walked around to the back of the church, and there were still a couple of gentlemen back there working, doing some finishing touches at, at the base where the, 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 the structure meets the earth. And sure enough, it was truly beautiful. Everything was fresh mud, and, and you could still see the bits of straw that were, were, were standing out as almost a mosaic. And, and I started to talk with one of the gentlemen. He said that, this year's repair was somewhat more difficult or more involved because the mud that had been built up over the years began cracking all the way through. So they had to remove all of the mud on this section of the church to get back to the original adobe bricks and then rebuild the mud, new mud, starting from the brick all the way back out. And that is truly a laborious effort because these walls are extremely thick. As I returned to the front of the church again and complimented Priscilla and Dorothy on such a great job, Priscilla began to talk with me in great detail about the church and about the community that they live in and that they have lived in for generations. In fact, she pointed to a small house just up the road, about 200 yards at the most, and she said that that's where her and her sister had been raised. She went on to tell me 
that for generations the community has come together every year to keep this church in repair. And the same thing as I was seeing that very day where the the adults were there, the elders were there, but also a young child was there. This has been the tradition all along that the children came out to work as well because that's how they learned the process of, of building and repairing the adobe so that when they were adults, they could continue this tradition and teach their children to pass it on and that it would keep going. Priscilla went on to tell me that this church is considered by the archdiocese as a mission church, an outlying church, and therefore they only have mass there once a month. But she continued to tell me that really this community has, to a large extent, gotten away from Catholicism, and in part because of the way that they were considered or treated by the archdiocese. But she went on to say that this church, to them, to the community, it's not so much a church, even though it is, and they respect it as a church, and they use it as a church, but it is considered a structure. It is part of the community. As she said emphatically, this is ours, and it is what holds, what has held, in large part, this community together. This church, this structure that happens to be a church, is the catalyst for the community to gather around and once a year to come and repair it and to rebuild it at times because of such severe disrepair. And it keeps them focused on being a part of a community and being strong. And Priscilla went on then to tell me that the community is really quite self-sufficient and they are becoming more and more self-sufficient again as time goes on, that people are raising animals for slaughter. People are raising their own crops. In fact, she was telling me that, there, that, that when this community was settled, and I think it was back in the 1700s, but I, I'm not positive on that, but I'm pretty sure, that uh, the community leaders or the community people got together and they, they dug two canals or two channels from the river that's up into the mountain to bring water down into the community for irrigation. And these are called acequias or a water ditch. And they're still being used today. In fact, she said, there is a board of directors that governs over the acequias and they make sure that everybody gets an equal amount of water. So when it's time for irrigation of crops, that they will open the acequia for a family and they will have access to the Yasekia's water for two days. And then it closes down and it goes to another family and then to another family. So that, again, each family gets an equal amount of water for their crops. And from the origins of this community until this very present day, this is still in place. And this is, again, one of the foundations of a great and strong community, which Las Trompas truly is. After having spent nearly an hour here photographing, but primarily talking and even more primarily listening, it was time for me to go. And as I was getting ready to leave, I was honored, truly honored, that they asked me if I would make the photograph, their annual photograph of them working on the church so that they could post it to their Facebook page. My day was now over complete. 
It was overstimulated. It was oversaturated. It was one of the best days ever. And now I was headed back to Santa Fe where I could just collapse in my hotel room and kind of just process all of this amazing information that I found. And again, I haven't even talked about my experience at the Pueblo for that second day in, in Taos, which again is going to be a subsequent podcast because that is just an amazing story. The In Search of America podcast, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. Music by Keith Medley at keithmedleymusic.com. <laughs>